Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Good morning, everyone. Um, This reading is from John 6, verses 1 to 17 from the NIV. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed. They saw the signs. Sorry. They saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But half, how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There, there was plenty of grass, grass in that area, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, and filled 12 baskets with the pieces, pieces of bar, five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After p- the people saw the signs that Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now we go on to John six twenty-five to 35. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see that you and believe you, what will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me 
will never be thirsty. Thanks, Christine. Thanks, Evan. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, that it's a light to our feet, that it guides us, it helps us to know you, it draws us um, into a relationship with you, which we thank you for. Lord, may you bless uh, the reading of this word today. May it enter our hearts and change our lives. May you, may you speak to us through your spirit this morning, I pray, in Jesus' name. Well, I want you to uh, look at uh, some of these pictures with me and I want you to see if you can see some of the following things. Uh, the first one is a uh, picture of a young woman. Can you see the young woman there turned away from us? Uh, she's still got a feather in her hair and, uh, and a large sort of black sort of shawl. Can you see that picture of that woman? Or, the, uh, or a duck. Here's a duck with a long beak. Uh, a very long beak, in fact. Can you see that duck in that picture? What about this picture of the vase? Can you see the vase or vase? I don't know which side of the road you come from, but uh, there's a picture of a yellowish vase there. And uh, also the basket of fruit. Can you see that uh, beautiful basket of fruit there? It's a very old image, that one. Now, it's relatively easy to see those things, I think, if I suggest to you what is in those pictures. And uh, particularly if you look at them from the right perspective, you can actually then uh, see exactly what's in them. But if I told you that actually there's other things there in those images, that those images are not of those things, they're of something else, what would you think? Would you look again? It's hard to see something else in an image once you've been told, once you've been given an idea about what you uh, are to see in that image. Sometimes it takes another careful look or to help you discover what's in that image. Let's look at those images again. This picture might not be of a young woman turned away, but rather uh, a side-on image of, a, of an old, old woman with a very large nose. Can you see that? Can you see her now? looking down. Or the next picture might not be a, a duck, but it actually might be a rabbit with very long ears pointing up in the sky. Can you see that now? Or this might not be a, a vase. It actually might be, might be two men looking at each other. Can you see those men, black sort of silhouetted men there with that space between them? Or this might not be actually a painting of a, of a basket of fruit, but it's some, someone's re rearranged that basket, turned the, turned the image upside down, and you can see that it, someone's actually arranged that fruit so that it looks like someone's face. And you can grasp that, you can get that if you actually look at these images from a different perspective. It seems that we often see what we want to see or we have been told to see in things. But not all the narratives that we are told in life are true. Nowadays we're told the truth is whatever we decide it to be or what, whatever we want it to be. But is it really? Is truth really that? Such attitudes are common when it comes to understanding, I think, who Jesus is. If you ask people who is Jesus, you'll get many and varied answers today. Some people will say, oh, he's just a good man. Uh, others will say, well, he was a prophet. Others will say... Uh, he was a kind person. 
Some people say, oh, he was just an example for us to follow and you know, to live by if we can. And yet still others will, will claim and say that he is, he is the son of God or that he's God come himself in human form. So how can you then get to understand who Jesus is with all those different narratives being taught to you and told to you, even more than those that have been suggested in those, four, those few there this morning? There are four accounts of Jesus' life and ministry in the, in the Bible, which are really easy to read. I love reading the gospel stories. And what I find about them is, although they come from different sort of angles on Jesus' life, there's this surprising unity in the writings of these gospel stories, although they've been written at different times by different authors. But each of them has this eyewitness feel to it, this feel that, that people who wrote these things are actually there. Or they, were, or they talked to people who were there with Jesus. Each of the Gospels have been written to tell us who Jesus is and what he came to do. But actually in the Gospel of John, John the author actually invites us also to hear what Jesus says about himself. And I love the Gospel of John because it does this in a very profound way. You see, John has these seven statements that Jesus made about himself, which actually when taken together... They tell us who Jesus sees himself to be and also what he came to do. John is an exceptionally reliable witness. And one of the reasons he's an exceptional reliable witness is because he is one of the Jesus' own disciples. He's a beloved disciple, one of Jesus' closest friends. And so he was there at all the important moments in the life of Jesus. He saw things. He was, he was like standing in front of Jesus. He was actually watching the things that he did. He was listening to Jesus. The seven statements that John hears Jesus make are often called the I am statements. And they're called this because each, statements, each of these sort of statements begins with this phrase, I am which is then followed by some sort of description that Jesus makes about himself. And uh, each, of the, in each I am statement and the occasion that accompanies it, they're full of meaning. Every phrase I am is loaded with meaning. It's, it's easy to gloss over these statements as you read, this, read the stories. Uh, but within the short phrase, I am, Jesus is actually telling us about his divine connection. He's telling us something about himself. And so when, when the prophet Moses uh, was told by God at the burning bush to go and tell Pharaoh to let his people go, you know that story. It's a very familiar story. You've either read it in the Bible or you've seen the movie, The Prince of Egypt. But when, um, when Moses is told by, by God to go and uh, you know, tell people, let my people go, Moses says to God, well, who should I say sent me? He's not going to go in his own power, is he, or, or in, in his own volition. He's, he wants to go in someone's name. Who should I say sent me, he asked God. And in Exodus 3.14, God says to him, I am has sent you. And this is the sacred name of God. I am the bread of life is one of the seven statements that Jesus makes. When heard out of context, it kind of seems like a really weird sort of statement, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> who calls himself a loaf of bread? 
or a flatbread. I don't know. But uh, actually, it seems out of context to us because we don't actually, we don't actually sort of, we, have, we weren't in the context in which Jesus told that statement or said that thing. But Jesus' I am the bread of life statement is not a random title. And it wouldn't have been something that came out of the blue for people because it's actually connected to the events that Jesus was involved in. And it, appeals, and it reveals something really important about him. Jesus told the people, I am the bread of life. And he did this after he had fed this huge crowd of people on a hillside. We were told 5,000 men, so that could easily be fifteen to 20,000 people. He fed them with from five flat barley flatbread and two fish, which is a miracle. Again, this is not just a random miracle out of nowhere. He doesn't just suddenly decide, oh, why don't I just you know, feed these people as some sort of random act? You see, the crowd really had been expecting it. You see, they'd heard of prophets feeding people before, but the trouble is they thought they knew what Jesus meant when he fed them. They thought they knew who Jesus was when they received bread from this person. Feeding people with five flatbread and two fish led people to think that Jesus was the second Moses. Moses was a great prophet who had led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and led, then led them through the desert for 40 years and had been involved in providing food for them until they actually reached the promised land. And so when Jesus performed this miracle on the hillside, what we also need to realise is that this miracle happens just before the Passover happens. And so what's the Passover about? The Passover is all about remembering what God did to rescue his people from Egypt through his prophet and through leading them through the wilderness to the promised land. So people are already really highly expectant when Jesus comes to feed them miraculously on the hillside. And so when the crowd on the hillside experienced Jesus feeding them as the Passover festival was approaching, what they thought was, ah, okay, we get it. This guy's the second Moses, the guy we've been waiting for. And so they concluded that, that, that he was Moses, the second Moses. And so they were delighted because they thought, not only is this guy going to feed us, I mean, Moses fed us for 40 years, not only is this guy going to feed us, but he's also going to do what we want him to do, which is to deliver us from the people who are oppressing us right now, who are the Romans. But the problem was, however, that the crowd were actually viewing Jesus and viewing the miracle that Jesus just performed from the wrong perspective. You see, they hadn't really understood the miracles which Moses had performed in, the, in Egypt or in the desert. You see, they'd, they were coming at them from the wrong way. It was actually a common Jewish understanding that uh, the, the manna, which is the bread that uh, they were fed with in the desert for 40 years, that it, it was common understanding that it came from this sort of storehouse in heaven, you know, like a big pantry. And they also believed that this pantry was just stocked full of things to eat, but it required special people to unlock the pantry, and Moses was one of those. 
because he was a great prophet. And he was great because he could do that, and he did it for 40 years. Elijah was also a significant prophet because he also did it. He actually fed 100 prophets uh, with a few, few barley loaves. He also was able to unlock that storehouse. And now, with Jesus there before them, on the hillside, feeding them these, from these five loaves and two fish, they thought, ah, here we go again. This guy is going to unlock the storehouse for us again. We're going to have food full on. No wonder people got excited when Jesus delivered food for them on the mountainside. Can you imagine it? 40 years of Uber Eats without even a credit card. Just turning up every day. Bang, bang, bang. Don't think of the cholesterol. It's going to be awesome. Here was this guy going to open up the treasury again for them. But Jesus point, points out that they have this incorrect perspective of the Exodus because, and, and this incorrect uh, sort of perspective on the Exodus actually leads into an incorrect perspective on who Jesus is and what he's come to do. You see, Jesus says, it wasn't Moses who fed your ancestors in the desert for 40 years. <laughs> it was God. Moses was really just the delivery guy, just the Uber Eats guy. They missed the reason why God fed their ancestors in the desert in the first place. In Deuteronomy 8.3, Moses said, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you, or your, you, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you. That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, they were fed manna in the desert to teach them that their to teach them their need for God, and that it's actually God alone who satisfies. But once people have a certain perspective on something in their minds, it's very hard to change, isn't it? Even though I, at the beginning, I showed you those pictures and I told you what was in them it probably took you a little bit to rearrange your, your view of those same pictures to see the other things that were in them. After Jesus fed the multitude on the hillside, he left there. There's a story in between. I'm going to jump over that. And he goes to Capernaum. And the people followed him to Capernaum. Why? Because they wanted another miracle. They wanted him to prove that he was really, truly the next Moses. And so Jesus, we're told, knew what they were thinking. They wanted him to do another miracle. They wanted him to produce more bread. But because of their faulty perspective, they missed seeing the real sign that Jesus was actually revealing to them. You see, Jesus said to them, I'm not going to give you bread like Moses. Because I'm not merely a delivery guy. I'm not really a deliverer of miracles. You see, I'm actually the miracle itself. I'm not just a giver of bread, Jesus is saying. Rather, I'm actually the bread of life itself. Food is essential for life and Jesus isn't devaluing hunger here. He's not devaluing poverty or spiritualizing hunger. But what he's saying is that... Uh, that to focus on God meeting just your physical needs in life is way too shallow. If that's what your prayer life is all about, just God meeting your physical needs, that's way too shallow, folks. 
What he's saying is that to focus on God, you need to think of me, or to think of me as a miracle guy who gives bread. It doesn't really come close to explaining who I am or what I've come to do for you. I don't know how you view God this morning, whether you just view him as the as a delivery guy. But I think there's more that God wants you to know about him this morning. There's more about Jesus that he wants you to experience. Jesus doesn't just want to address your physical needs as great as they are, and they are great. He also wants to satisfy you completely. And the question is, can you, can you trust him with that? There's this maxim which is often quoted in uh, community development which says, give a person a fish and they'll eat for a day. Teach a person two fish and they'll eat for a lifetime. And there's some truth in that statement. But Jesus is saying that even a lifetime of food is way too short for, of, way too short of what I want to do in your life. When Wendy and I lived in uh, Malawi, there was a terrible famine. Uh, there was hunger each year, but there was a terrible famine in the year 2001 and 2002. For those of you who watch Netflix, there's a film called The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. I don't know if you've seen it. It's, about, it's a true story about that famine. Um, and it was widespread and it, it impacted us. It didn't impact Wendy and I directly because we had food every day. And uh, we try to help people during, during that time. And, uh, and the way we did that was we tried to give out maize to people, which is their main food staple. And uh, so we were given some money from people in Australia to do this, quite a lot of money. And I went out and I bought uh, 25,000 kilograms or 25 tonnes of maize. And th that was equivalent to about 550 kg sacks. And it sounds like a lot of maize, doesn't it? It looked like a lot of maize when, you know, when the trucks came rolling in with it on. And, uh, but it wasn't very much maize. It wasn't enough. It, uh, it basically fed 500 people for a month. 500 families, sorry, for a month. Because a family eats at least one sack of maize a month. Folks, that, that famine lasted two years. And this was the same issue that people who received the manna in the desert faced as well, you see. You see, manna kept them alive. But guess what, folks? Those people, yeah, they entered the promised land, but eventually they died. The people who were fed there on the hillside that day, they were full that day. They left, they left happy and they left full. But guess what? They were hungry the next day, and which is why they turn up here in Capernaum. And wanted Jesus to do the miracle again. Do it again. And so the miracle that Jesus performed on the hillside was this act of mercy for the crowd. But he also used that act of mercy to reveal a truth about himself. And this is, in fact, what he's also doing here. He's joining that miracle to these statements so that we can actually grasp who he is. This, these I am statements tell us something about Jesus. In response to people's physical need, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. 
In other words, I'm the one who can satisfy you. After the healing of the blind man who lived in darkness, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the one who can take away spiritual darkness. After raising Lazarus from dead, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. You see, Jesus is actually showing people who he is and what he came to do. He is the one who is confronting human suffering and brokenness and evil head on. That's what he's telling us. And so you might have heard people say, well, I I can't believe in God with all this suffering in the world. I mean, look at all the poverty. Look at the suffering. Look at the violence. How can I believe in God? How can I believe? How can I believe that God would allow all these things to happen? You've probably heard those sort of arguments before. Maybe you've had them yourself. Maybe they're silent arguments at the back of your mind. But if you read the Bible, then you'll see that actually God hates those things as well. He hates suffering. He hates evil. And you'll see in the life of Jesus that actually Jesus is God's assault on those things. It's God coming to rectify those things. Folks, how else do you think evil and suffering are going to be resolved in the world? Do you really think that, that we actually have the capacity to tackle those ills, that we actually have the, the way with all or the wherewithal to deal with the evils of the world that, that are around us, that are in us? John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, had the same question and he sent his disciples to Jesus and when, he, when John was actually in jail and he sent his disciples to ask Jesus if he was the one who was going to, that he was going to usher in this change, who was going to confront evil and who was going to usher in the kingdom of God, or should we wait for another person, he was asking. Should we wait for someone else sent by God? And Jesus said to those disciples, go back and report to John this. Go back and tell him what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on my account or on account of me. Jesus is telling John that what you see him doing is proof that he is the one who has been sent to establish God's kingdom and to invite us into the rule and reign of God. And in the rule and reign of God, it's where God is reversing the brokenness and the destruction and the evil and death that are our lot in life without him. And so Jesus is saying the same thing to people through each of these I am statements. And so when he says, I am the bread of life, he's saying, I'm the one who can truly satisfy you and your deepest needs for all of this life and also for the next. I can do this not just for today or for tomorrow or for next week or next month. I can, I can do this not just for 70 years that you're here on this earth for. I'm the one who can actually satisfy you for eternity, but not by giving you mere food, but by giving you myself. Who do you believe Jesus to be today? This is a question that you need to answer. And your answer will depend on your perspective of him. 
You see, the thing is, you have to draw a conclusion about Jesus. You can't just dismiss him. You see, Jesus is a historical fact. It's historical that he lived and he died on the cross. No historian worth their weight in even sand will deny that. Whether an atheist, agnostic, Christian or a follower of some other religion, Jesus is a historical fact. But perhaps like people on the mountainside or in Capernaum, in the synagogue, you are looking to Jesus as the second Moses figure, someone who will give you what you want, someone like a delivery man, but who has no other claim on your life, that you come to just when you have a need, but forget about when you don't. But here's the problem. You see, whatever you think will satisfy you, Jesus tells us that it won't. You don't need me to tell you that this morning. You know that already. You've experienced enough of life to know that the things you put your hope into, the things that you have trusted in, they really never quite live up to what you want them to. You might think, if, if only people appreciated me more, I'd be satisfied. You might think, well, if people thought that I was someone special, you know, I got the right occupation, I got the right level of education. I have the right amount of money involved in the right kind of relationship. Then this will be the thing that satisfies me. But ultimately, although a lot of those things are good, ultimately none of them will satisfy you because we are not made to be satisfied by material things alone. I appreciate this quote from Jim Carrey, the actor, he says, I hope, I hope everyone could get rich and famous and will have everything they've ever dreamed of so they will know that it's not the answer. That's a very frank, honest statement by a very famous actor. I went through a whole lot of actually, uh, I put that question in Google the other day and Googled a whole lot of movies, movie actors and very famous people and each of them basically stated the same thing. It was quite amazing. How, how hard it was for them because what they thought would bring them great satisfaction actually did not. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the food you need. But I won't dispense food like Moses. I won't be your Uber Eats guy because in order to be truly satisfied, you need, what you need is not loads of food. What you need is me. Now, Jesus is not take, talking about communion here directly. He's talking about receiving and consuming him, which sounds, again, kind of weird, doesn't it? A bit cannibalistic. But what he means is that when we, when we uh, receive him or when we consume him, what he's talking about is believing in him in believing in what he says about himself and believing in what he says about what he's come to do. And so we need to actually receive Jesus. We need to take him at his word and listen to him, explain himself to us and explain why he's come. And if you want to be satisfied, you need to take the time to explore that yourself. Friends, what stories, what narratives are shaping how you think about Jesus and what he's doing in the world this morning. If the stories that you've heard 
have led you to believing anything different to how Jesus describes himself and what he's come to do, then I want to respectfully say that that is not the truth. You need to re-listen to Jesus, his self-description, and this will lead to experiencing life and hope and true satisfaction. But there's a twist in this plot. I can't just leave it there. You see, in films and TV series that we watch, it's never just a straight story. There's always other characters who are involved in the plot and that impact their understanding of what's going on. And the same in the Jesus story. You see, other characters are actually influencing how we see Jesus and what he's come to do. And so the main reason people didn't receive Jesus in Capernaum isn't because they were ignorant or slow. People also don't reject Jesus' self-description today just because they got you know, lots of things on their mind or because they're apathetic or they're you know, distracted. The Bible says that actually people have been blinded and prevented from seeing who Jesus is. And so the truth is that there's actually real darkness in the world and, and the darkness is so severe, the Bible says that actually only God can penetrate that darkness and help people to see Jesus clearly, to see him as the one who truly satisfies. You see, our modern narrative is that the world is a neutral place. That's what we've been taught growing up in school, in uni, in our workplaces, on TV. The, wor- the world tells us, ah, the world's benign. It's just a material world. But it's not. You see, there's real evil at work. And the Bible says that the ruler, there's a ruler of this world. And th- their work is actually to confuse people. And so he is referred to in Scripture as the father of lies. And it speaks to what he's up to every single day. And so he's on about a disinformation campaign. You see, he's the one who's actually working in the background, trying to shape our worldview, trying to shape our narratives, trying to shape what we believe. And he's doing a pretty good job because quite often today, there's a lot of unbelief. We, we, uh, we believe anything. And we also believe at the same time nothing. And we put our hope in worthless things. And then we have, at the end of that, we have no hope and no joy at all. And we can see that. It's no wonder that people struggle grasping the truth today. It's no wonder that people don't see clearly or understand what God is doing in the world easily. And so even though there is a a ruler of this world who's at work in the world, John says in his letter in 1 John 4 that we shouldn't panic. We should be aware, but we shouldn't panic Because the one who is in you, the one who God wants to put in you, is greater than the one who is in the world. I hope you experience that and know that this morning. And so when we can when we get a we can get a clear picture of Jesus in which we know him and what he's come to do through the work of his spirit. Understanding who Jesus is and what he's done and receiving him is not just a matter of teaching and preaching. It ultimately requires God to move people to belief. And so Jesus says to the crowd in Capernaum that believing is something that actually God helps people to do. 
And so the good news for us is that God is not inactive in our lives or in this process. He does help people to know the truth, which is one of the important roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives, whom Jesus says is at work convincing us of all truth. But what we need to grasp today, I believe, as a church, is that it will be impossible for people to understand that Jesus is the bread of life without God actually illuminating that to them. God must move the inner heart of a person before they can move towards him and see things as they truly are. This is what happened to Peter, the disciple, when he finally recognised Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of the living God. Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Friends, I believe that this message today, on the first day of the year, I believe that there's a challenge for us as a church, as a community of Jesus followers as we begin 2023. You see, in order for people to believe that Jesus is the bread of life and in order for people to receive him as that, God needs to move their hearts. I can stand up here week in, week out and bang on about how wonderful God is. But without God moving in our hearts, without God moving in the hearts of the people that we engage with and relate to throughout the week, we're wasting our time. If you can't grasp who Jesus is, if your friends can't grasp who he is or your sons or daughters can't grasp him, conversations with them are good. They're great. But teaching and conversations are not enough, friends, on their own. You see, because people are not just ignorant, they're not slow, they're not just stubborn and they're not just bored. The Bible says that people are blinded by the father of lies. And we need to grasp that this morning at the beginning of 2023. What they need is for God to remove the scales from their eyes and they need help from God to grasp their spiritual hunger and see that it's only Jesus who can satisfy. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, he says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But the Bible also tells us how people come to believe, which is through the work of God's Spirit. In John 16, 13, Jesus says, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Friends, as a community of Jesus followers, we need ourselves and our loved ones and our friends and our neighbours to be guided into all truth if we want to see God working in our community. I've been challenged over the last few months about the need for us to enter more fully into this battle through prayer. We've done a lot of work over the past year thinking about mission. We've done a lot of work thinking about how to engage with our neighbours. It's been great work. And I see some of the tremendous things we're doing. We're quite active. We're quite creative. 
But without prayer, we will always struggle to see people responding to God because God's, it's God's spirit who guides people into all truth. Friends, we need to be, become a community, again, of people who pray in order for people to see Jesus clearly. We need to be people who pray regularly for, our, for ourselves and for our sons and our daughters and for our friends and our neighbours so they're able to understand Jesus as he describes himself and as the one who truly satisfies We need to become a community who prays and ask God to lead us to people. We need to be people who pray and ask God to guide our conversations with them. We need to be people who pray for our children who are held captive to, the narr- to narratives of despair and hopelessness and who just find it difficult to believe. The breakthrough for those children, for those people, is not coming by more talking, friends. We need to ask God to be at work in these things. Friends, my question is, on the first day of the year, what are we going to do with this message? It's been, it's been gnawing away at me for months. It's been gnawing away at me now all this week. It's a wake-up call and a call to action, not just for me as a pastor, but I'm wanting to suggest that it's a call to us as a community. It's a call to ask God to help us because we actually need God to help us to become this praying community as well. I want to invite the band to come up. As we move into a time of communion, in which we are going to take the broken bread, which resembles the broken body of Christ, which represents Christ Jesus giving himself for us, and also the juice or the wine which represents the blood of Jesus spilled for us, I want to encourage you to ask God in, your, in the seat you're sitting in this morning, whether you're here in person or at home, I want to ask you to talk to God and ask him to help you to see Jesus more clearly today, to see him as he says he is and, as he, and the things he said about himself that he's come to do. But I also want you to ask God to fill you and us together as a community afresh with his spirit so that we can take up this challenge and this role of being a praying community so that other people can come to know and believe and receive Jesus as Lord as well. Thanks, Perry.